Hey there, it's Niella Graham, your host of PABJ's Here's What Happened podcast. Every Sunday, we're taking you through four important news stories from the week and discussing a story about the ever-changing landscape of journalism. We know it's hard to keep up with what's happening in the world, whether it's politics, world affairs, or natural disasters. So sit back, relax, because here's what happened. We are back again with another episode of Here's What Happened. I'm Neela Graham, and I'm your host. I'm also the vice president of the SUNY Plattsburgh Association of Black Journalists. We are back, and it's been without a doubt a crazy news week. We have a lot to talk about, and I'm joined today by PABJ President Miriam Abdallah. Thank you for being on the podcast again and again and again, Miriam. <laughs> no, you know, I love to be here. Um, you know, I don't mind how many times I'm here. I just love to sit here and have great conversation about what's been going on in the news. Yes, and we should just get straight to that. Obviously, the first story we'll talk about today is the Austin explosions mm -hmm. or bombings that were going on late last week into this week. Um, it's ended now, hopefully, with the... Um, they killed the man who was doing... Or actually, he committed suicide himself. Mm -hmm. um, I believe it was Tuesday that they got him. I could be completely wrong about that. Um, I'm checking that. Yeah, but he did commit suicide, though. It wasn't a... Murder. He yeah, no, he did himself. commit suicide. From my understanding, he had um, a explosive device in his car, and he set it off when he knew he was being chased by police. Mm -hmm. But the really the thing I don't really want to focus on is the man behind it, because every time something like this happens, we have shootings, we have horrible attacks like this. There is this sort of narrative to make the person who committed all of this sort of seem like. They had a troubled life, mm -hmm. and they were just your average day citizen, a quiet young man just living his life. And what really I think should be focused on instead is that the neighborhoods that were being targeted by the first three bombs that went off were majority black and Hispanic neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Austin, Texas is the capital of Texas. Um, it's seen as one of the more diverse areas in Texas. So I think that's where we should start with the conversation is this should this attack be seen as a t as a terrorist attempt in the United States? Um, and is it, is it important to look at the area where this took place? Um, I think so. You know, when you look back at certain terrorist attacks, such as, um, you know, 9-11, one of the more prominent ones, you see that, you know, where they targeted were the places that were targeted were very important and culturally important. So um, I think when you look at each one of these attacks, as we always continue to have, um, last semester we sat here and we spoke about other um, issues when it comes to terrorism, um, the location is very important because, you know, if areas where black and Hispanic people live, you know, if it was in New York City, it's a very diverse city. Austin, Texas, you know, a big state, but, you know, very... Um, rural areas where um, people of color do live. So um, mm -hmm. I do think it is important, you know, let's move away from the, um, I was going to say the victim, but the um, the perpetrator or the terrorist, as we would, you know, want to say, um, move away from that and move more into, you know, culturally, the cultural significance of where the bombs and where these gun violence things take place Yeah, for me. 
Yeah, and what was really interesting for me, at least, was reading how they got him. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a big Law & Order fan. I really like police procedural dramas. And what was really interesting to see is that they had basically no footage of this guy. He was very good at dropping off these explosions and seeing... And dropping off the explosives and not being harmed Mm -hmm. by them and then them not going off. He was very particular about how he was doing it. So there was a sort of sophistication, Mm -hmm. which earned him the title of we are dealing with a sophisticated serial bomber in Austin. And what was really interesting is that they had no footage of him. They ended up getting video, I believe, of a man leaving a FedEx. And for just for clarification, there was an explosive that went off in a FedEx shipping facility in San Antonio. And the package was supposed to go to Austin. So they got footage of him leaving this FedEx. He's wearing pink gloves. Mm -hmm. They tracked the local Home Depots. Where do they sell these gloves? They went through security footage of all of these Home Depots. They got footage of him leaving, and then it just became, you know, they knew there was a red truck involved. Mm -hmm. They knew he was probably around his early 20s. We're looking for a white male. I mean, it's really sort of scientific how they go through all of this because it really seemed like no one had any idea who was doing it. Yeah, and I'm actually looking up, um, you know, the correlation between this situation and the Boston bombings. Um, I think it's either Netflix or HBO. Someone is doing a documentary or a piece on um, the Boston bomber and his involvement in the entire thing. But um, I think that they're saying that this is one of the largest bombing investigations in the United States since the Boston Marathon attacks in 2013. So um, I was actually looking up um, the other huge bombing in the United States. And it's unfortunate we can actually sit here and Google um, situations like this because, uh, again, they keep happening. Um, The one that I think it was in Utah or this one, the really 1983. Wow, I was not alive. (laughs) <laughs> Neither one of us were alive, Niela, but there was a big one that happened, and it was a domestic terrorist, um, mm. but I'm forgetting his name. But that was another thing, and apparently it was you know before we were around, before technology was a big thing where people can get on Twitter and say, this is going on in, on my side of the world, this is going on on my side of my city. Um, and it's just, I think you brought up law and order, and I think that social media and um, news outlets are allowed better... How can I say this? Police are allowed better access to crimes, if that makes any sense, because of technology and because of the way that it is easier for people to share what's going on. You know, if they mm-hmm. say, um, you know, Red FedEx or, you know, even with with these school shootings, you you know, these kids are going on Snapchat. These kids are going live on their Instagrams, on their Facebooks and um and are tweeting, you know, this is is going on in my classroom. This is going on in my classroom. I think it's important to appreciate and not neglect social media because it has a big view on how we can close in on certain crimes, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And something that baffled me reading through all of the articles that have kind of come out in the last couple of days mm-hmm. is that there was a tripwire bomb, which was the last one that went off. And that is a level of sophistication because you t- you actually have to walk on something. Mm-hmm. The expression you have to trip over something for this to go off. Oh, I see. And that is a kind of unlike I think anything we've heard about. It's usually like oh, it's on someone and they detonate it, mm-hmm. or they're in the area. But no, they leave the area completely. Someone walks by and boom. It's so, crazy, you know. Um, I 
you know, I'm someone, it's a bit strange, but I always have an interest in what goes on in the minds of these people that commit these crimes. And, um, you know, for you to know what you're doing, I think is a very powerful thing in and of itself. My mom always says, since I was growing up, she always said that the mind is a very powerful thing. Mm -hmm. Like if you, if you think of something, it will happen, you know, and for someone to have this much experience, for someone to have this much knowledge of, you know, de detonation devices is a bit strange. Um, and I think, you know, as well, the, as you know, what the media does, it will continue to expose different layers of this person's life. Because as at now, you know, it's a different picture painted of the person. It's a, you know, a neighbor's account of, oh, you know, he's a nice guy. This is this is this. This is a very, you know, stressful situation just like um the parkland shooter situation different layers still you know more than a month later are still coming out about his life so um i am hopeful and i'm kind of um i don't want to say excited but i want to see i'm what's the word i can use it doesn't sound crazy because i feel like exciting sounds weird um you anticipate yes i'm ready to see what the media is going to pull out about this person's life because this doesn't come out of nowhere. He doesn't decide, oh, I'm going to do this one day. So There um, is a 25-minute confession on his phone really? as well. They right, found right. his phone. There's a 25-minute confession. Mm -hmm. There's been no details released about what is on there. Mm -hmm. But he does confess to some stuff that's going on in his personal life mm -hmm. and why he did it. So it'll be interesting to see when that will be available yes. to the public. Mm -hmm. And how much of it will be available because yeah. they're not going to release the whole thing. They're not. They're going to release snippets. Yeah. Um, but a tweet that I saw that kind of, it was funny, but it also made a point. Mm -hmm. So the New York Times tweeted, the Austin bombing subject was a quiet, nerdy young man who came from a tight-knit, godly family, said Donna Sebastian Harp, who had known the family for nearly 18 years. And a man named Daniel Kibblesmith retweeted it and wrote, stop interviewing the neighbors. My neighbor has seen me once. She would describe me to papers as a quiet young man who loved getting out his keys while struggling with a large Walgreens bag. <laughs> That's the only detail she knows about this guy's life. Yeah. She doesn't know what his personal life is. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know how much money he makes. She doesn't know any of that. So it needs to, there needs to be, you need to start going to the right people mm -hmm. when you're talking, trying to create a profile for the public and for yourself of who the individuals are who do this. Mm -hmm. And this point has been made a hundred times, but when it's a white individual who commits these crimes, and overwhelmingly statistics show it is, mm -hmm. it's immediately like, oh, mental health. You know, they had a troubled life. If it's a black individual, let's pull up their criminal record. What have they also done? Like, yeah. it's there's, the narrative is so different. Yeah. Um, and um, you, just like you said with social media, I think it's easier to go, well, it's easier now to go on, um, you know, especially with the Parkland shooter, they went into his YouTube account, they went into his Instagram, and that kind of paint, painted, painted, excuse me, a portrait of who this person was. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, like you said, let's leave the neighbors alone, because to every neighbor or passerby, this person is a nice person, a nice, quiet individual, but when you start to get into their personal life, their social media, which is easily accessible by all people nowadays, um, I think you can really get a better view of who these people are. And just to say the shooting or, excuse me, the bombing that I was talking about prior was the Oklahoma City bombing, which was oh, another yes. big one. Yeah, that happened that. in 1995. So, yes, we were still not alive. But um, that was one that, you know, didn't have, you know, the FBI and law enforcement didn't have as much technology as we have now to see what's going on um, when it comes to 
these crimes and the people that commit them. Well, moving on subjects mm-hmm. and speaking of social media, yes. and you have brought up Parkland tomorrow, the really inspiring student activists from Marjorie Stoneman Douglas mm-hmm. are marching on Washington. They have a lot of people backing them. Um, it's called March for Our Lives. And they've been on TV a lot. I've personally been kind of watching everything mm-hmm. that they've been doing. They've been on Bill Maher. They've been on MSNBC. They've been on CNN. They did a CNN town hall, yeah. um, which got a lot of attention. A couple of them went to the White House. They've been really doing a lot of things. And it's very interesting to see because they've been sort of called the school shooting generation, which is a title I don't know how I necessarily feel about <laughs> it. But essentially, they're at the age where they're conscious enough to know what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. They're not as young as, you could say, the victims of the Sandy Hook yeah. massacre. They're teenagers. They're going to college. They're taking classes about what's going on um, in the world. And they have not stopped. Typically, what we see after we have really horrific school shootings is... Thoughts and prayers. We want we want gun control laws changed. And then it's over. Doesn't really get talked about. And then the next one happens. And then the next one happens. And the next one happens. Yeah. Instead, it's been over a month, and we're still hearing about it. And I haven't gotten sick of it yet because something need, does need to be done. They're going about it the right way. Mm-hmm. I mean, TMZ stopped Cameron Caskey, who's one of the um, activists leading this. And he said something which I think is really the good thing to say because a lot of information gets misconstrued about what side feels what way about the NRA and the Second Amendment. He said, I'm not against the Second Amendment. I'm not against the people who are members of the NRA. He said he's against the NRA as an establishment and what they have done in past years by giving money to politicians. And therefore, you can't get gun laws passed because – um, a certain senator got who knows how much money from the NRA. Exactly. So that's what he has an issue with. And he has the issue with the fact that you have to go to school and be worried that someone's going to come in and shoot your friends. Yeah, exactly. And you're not going to see it coming. So I think being really careful with your words and how you say things and being eloquent but also really fed up and angry yeah. is really important. Mm-hmm. And it's really inspiring to see. Yeah, it is inspiring. And um, I'm just looking at an article here with celebrities who have um, voiced their support for the march and the students that are marching. Um, it says that the movement's GoFundMe page has raised over $3.3 million. Not a surprise. Yes, and many um, celebrities are supposed to be marching with them as well. Um, so one of the biggest donations that we've seen from a celebrity was from George Clooney and his wife, Amal, who is a human rights lawyer. Um, She, um, well, they both pledged $500,000, and their family will be at the event, which is, I think, amazing, because I'm not someone that follows entertainment news, but I know that they just had um, twins. And for them, I think this is one of their first public appearances, for them to step out like this um, in support of something like this is really amazing. Oprah Winfrey also um, says that she will be matching his donation. Mm -hmm. Other, um, just to give a brief list, other donors include Steven Spielberg, Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon, I just want to point out, mm-hmm. made a whole point in his... I don't know if it was just on his show he did this or it was for YouTube. Yeah. He made a video and he's like, I'm really touched by what you're doing. Yeah. And I'm going to be there with my wife and my kids. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that's really great. 
It just yeah. it warmed my heart. <laughs> also, um, the cast of Modern Family, Dwayne Wade and his wife Gabrielle Union, and also John Legend and his wife Chrissy Teigen. Now, Chrissy Teigen and John Legend, they donate to so many causes. Yeah. I was actually doing a report um, for one of my classes a couple weeks ago when they released um, former President Barack Obama's and Michelle Obama's portraits in the mm-hmm. um, what museum? I think it was the National National Portrait Gallery. There yeah. you go. Yeah, the National Portrait Gallery. So I went on the website just to get a little bit more information. And on the bottom of the actual photograph of, I think it was either one of them, the First Lady or um, the President, John Legend and Chrissy Teigen's names were at the bottom when it came to like um, contributors. And that will forever go down in history. And I was like, you know, people need to stop, you know, start separating celebrities from just being celebrities and realize that these people care about human rights. These people care about what's going on in the world. So that was something that um, I thought that was cool to share. I just thought of sharing that. Um, and, you know, songs have been released um, so that the portions of the proceeds will go to support the um, the movement and everything. So I just think, you know, this is it's very powerful as a student to see what other students can do and organize um, together and get the hearts of so many people across the world, really. Yeah. Um, and having, I think, witnessed, like, student protests on this campus, yes. it's something that's really inspiring to see. But I, I kind of I want to go back to the idea of being in the school shooting generation, mm-hmm. which I think we both are in. Yeah. And that idea of constantly getting notifications on your phone, constantly getting going on uh, watching the news and seeing you know what shooting just happened mm-hmm. um having more lockdown drills than fire drills yeah while you're in school i mean it it numbs you it also it annoys you mm-hmm. um and then there's been unfortunately there was a school shooting this week in maryland there was one in georgia uh shortly after um parkland and Emma Gonzalez, who's one of the activists, Mm -hmm. was tweeting, you know, like, we support you. you We're there for you. And seeing, you know, people are very quick on Twitter to be like, this person's missing. Help me find them. Yeah. They'll tweet, someone's in my school. Like, I think that real time sharing of information is really important when it's used the right way. And I think these students have latched on to getting people's attention the right way. Yeah. Um. By being upfront and honest, saying how scared you are. Um, when people accuse you of being a crisis actor, you get in their face and you say, you wouldn't be saying that if you knew what situation it's like to be in locked That's in a I'm closet saying. with a bunch of your classmates. I mean, it's just, it, and it's despicable to think that someone would say that. Um, to say, oh, no, you're being paid to walk out of a building to make it look like something happened. That's what I'm saying. I just don't even understand where that stuff comes from. Um, I'm, I, to be honest, I really don't even want to put light on the, the crisis actor situation because that just frustrates me yeah, no. in and of myself. And I'm not going to disrespect the movement by even breathing life into that, so let's leave yeah. that there. <laughs> but um, you did mention um, with the lockdown drills, something that jumped into my head when you said that was um, when I was going to school, when, obviously when we were all going to school, it was the same age, um, I remember growing up, we did not have, we had fire drills all the time, right? And that's Mm -hmm. just, you know, a law mandated thing. You have to have fire drills. Okay. But when I got into maybe sixth, seventh grade, 
was like what what age was like 13 14 15 Mm -hmm. that's when we started having lockdown drills and i'm like what are lockdown drills at the time but now i'm seeing the importance of such situations i remember when we used to have them and the teacher oh get in the um you know be quiet don't speak don't giggle or anything and people wouldn't take it seriously and i'm just thinking now when these things are happening quite frankly every week or every other week you you think of the importance but at the same time it does go back to should we have to sit down and take time out of the classroom, um, you know, learning period to go into lockdown drills and certain things. And um, I don't know if I can say personally if I think anything is going to change. I think I personally think when I always, you know, see these situations and I said I like to look at the victims and see what their stories are. I think it kind of starts at home. It starts with the respect that children have for other children you know as adults we're, we're told um you know when you go into the workplace or anything like that have respect for other people but i think that children need to start having more respect for other children and just respecting each child and their situation we all remember going to school and having um the child that was quiet or having the student that was um, a little bit more reserved to themselves and those kids quite frankly would get picked on or get spoken about in an you know, an unfair way. Um, I just think that parents just drill it into your children that everyone is different. When you grow up, you're going to meet different people and just respect each other. Because, you know, like like we said, like the Parkland shooter, they said he was, what, adopted and and all that stuff, Mm -hmm. autistic, all that stuff. Yeah, he's different, but let's respect him so that he doesn't go home and think, you know what, these people hate me. I need to go into a school and do certain things about it. But you know I also, I, mean? I would, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. But I also bring up. So I don't know if you saw this, but on Facebook there were a bunch of posts about um, walk up, not out. When they did National Walkout Day, mm. the idea being walk up to the kid who's sitting alone at lunch. Yes. Walk up to the kid and say hi to them include them in a conversation i completely agree with that Mm -hmm. i was bullied for a period of time Mm -hmm. i know what that feels like but also by by saying that all the kids who sit by themselves and are bullied are going to grow up bring an ar-15 into their former school and shoot everyone is not a fair narrative to point that because there are other factors that go into it Mm -hmm. and the walk up not out movement was essentially discarding the idea of walking out of schools but it's kind of it's not paying attention to the actual problem at hand which is that it's easy somewhat to get bump stocks and Mm ar-15s the age of purchase should be higher like it's kind of not even bringing guns into the conversation and guns needs to be in the conversation yes walk up to that kid include them Mm -hmm. but that's not the only thing that you have to do you have to do a lot of other things yeah that's true so and that's true. Uh, that argument also takes the responsibility out of the hands of politicians mm-hmm. and those that are elected to protect us. So that is that makes a lot of sense as well. Um, but I don't know. It just unfortunately, you know, we did speak about this last week. We we spoke. No, not last week. Um, last semester, we said, unfortunately, I feel like next week we're going to be here speaking about the same thing. Um, I don't remember what happened last semester, but I think, you know, this. I think we were talking about Las Vegas. You think so? I think so, because it was Las Vegas. Yes, it was Las Vegas. And then, because the week before Las Vegas, mm-hmm. the shooting happened in that church in Texas. And then right. the next week, Las Vegas shooting happened. Right. And we were like, oh, next week we're probably going to. Yeah, which is unfortunate that we have to say, but we have to keep it real and just be honest at, what, you know, the climate that we all live in. Um, but 
back to, you know, the, the positivity that will be happening this weekend. Um, I think it's going to be powerful. I hope that a lot of news outlets cover it and, you know, live stream things. Um, you know, we might be able to see it on Facebook, on YouTube. And I'm excited to see who pulls out for this and who, um, you know, just voices their support. Because I think, again, it's just a really powerful thing. Yeah. So moving on to the idea, the talk of politicians. Yes. Cynthia Nixon announced this week that she is going to be running for governor of New York to mm-hmm. challenge Andrew Cuomo who will be seeking a third term as governor of New York. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't watch Sex in the City because I was too I. young yeah, when exactly. it came out. <laughs> Don't really have that much interest now. But a lot of New Yorkers know who she is. Mm-hmm. She's been very outspoken. She sort of identifies herself as an activist. Yeah, She's a member of the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a celebrity. So immediately on Twitter... It was no surprise to see people cl- comparing her to our current president of the United States, mm-hmm. who was merely a entertainer and celebrity when he ran mm-hmm. back in 2000, started running back in 2015. Um, so I don't know how I feel about Cynthia Nixon. I have some issues with Andrew Cuomo personally, so I was kind of excited to see someone else. But also, how qualified is she? I don't think that the comparison to Trump is fair because she doesn't appear to have the same personality as him. Um, but I just I want what do you think? Um, yeah, just going right off of that when they you know spoke about Oprah becoming president, um, it's not even about you know personality really. It's just about qualifications when it comes to politics and and you know yeah. being in that. She's situation. Oprah, but. Can she do other things? Exactly. Um, And that also goes into, um, you know, you saying someone coming against the current, I don't want to say establishment, but establishment of Andrew Cuomo, whose um, father was also governor of New York for three terms, I'm sure, before he, yeah, three terms. And um, someone, you know, I think we're all happy to see someone going against the establishment, going against what has been so um, regular for so long. But I think... That I don't know. I I think we we have to see. I think that you know President Trump was. I'm saying this in a certain way. Just follow me. Was a great example of someone leaving being a celebrity purely in the um you know the celebrity um, realm and going into politics just to show what one side of it can look like when someone doesn't have political experience. But I think that um, to see the other side, I think we do need to have someone who, um, you know, this country is for the people. Anyone, I saw a commercial the other day, anyone can be president of the United States. That might be a little strange, you know, depending on who you're speaking to. But um, I think it's going to take one celebrity who has left that um, actress, you know, millionaire, whatever realm, and come into politics to see, you know, a different positive, a more positive spectrum. Um so some of the issues that she's running for, as Niela says, she um, pushed a lot for LGBT rights. Um, she's also a very vocal um, advocate for public school reform. I actually also did another story about this um, earlier in the week, and I watched her um, the video that she posted on Twitter that became one of the most highest trending things on Twitter um, this past Monday. Um, she basically, you know, talks about how her children go to. Um, public schools and how she grew up in New York City public schools. And immediately when I thought of that, I think that, you know, there was even a clip in the video of her dropping her child off at um, a school. And I think that that experience, while anyone in New York City, I grew up in New York City, Niela grew up in New York City, Mm -hmm. um, 
I did not go to a public school, but I'm sure that my school experience and Niella's school experience were completely different, even though we grew up in the same, air quotes, school system. So I think that in order for her to be, um, I don't know how um, successful she'll be at running for governor of the entire New York state. Um, She's not running for mayor of New York City, New York state. (laughs) Um, I think that's clear to um, point out. Um, What was I saying? I think that she's going to have to really appeal to, you know, the public schools in New York State, not just public schools in Manhattan, not just public schools in the Bronx, in Queens. Um, She's going to have to appeal to everyone, you know, so she's going to have to understand that this is New York State. New York State isn't just New York City where um, a public school needs to be reformed for whatever way you need to look at. You know, we're in Plattsburgh public schools in Plattsburgh. So um, I think she's going to have to try it. If she wants to be successful at this, appeal to a higher group of people. Because right now we know her as Miranda Hobbs on Sex in the City. She's going to have to leave that um, bubble and appeal to others. Well, it's very interesting that you bring up the point about New York City because I was having a discussion about this with my mom. Mm-hmm. And she immediately pointed out that, and I pointed this out as well, Right now, I think the core of the people who are considering voting for her mm-hmm. live in the five boroughs of New York City. They don't live in Rochester. They don't live in Buffalo. They don't live in Albany. She's going to have to work very hard to appeal to those people. And just while you were talking, I pulled up an article from Vox that basically summed up her announcing her campaign. And it says she's pushed for LGBT rights. She's also a vocal education advocate calling for increased funding for public schools. She's also a prominent supporter of New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio, who just happens to have a public feud with Cuomo. Now, I was somewhat aware of this feud, but from my understanding of it is that um, Governor Cuomo went to a NYCHA housing facility and put on, like, workers' clothes, really got involved with the people, and the ceiling was coming down. I mean, the, the building was just decrepit. And he is now threatening to take over NYCHA, which is a New York City agency. Mm-hmm. It's not run by the state. So he sort of annoyed de Blasio now because it's pointing blame at de Blasio and saying, you're not doing your job. You just got elected to a second term. Mm-hmm. And you're not very popular in the city. And I'm threatening to take over one of the biggest agencies in your city that houses a lot of people. She's also claiming that she wants to um, renovate the New York City subway system, which we all know needs a lot of updates and has been an issue, um, particularly during the summer months. So right now it seems she's kind of only focused on the city, and the city is not the entirety of New York State. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Um, But yeah... I don't know. I guess you could make the argument that, yeah, she's a celebrity, but some people, other people who run for public office are also public figures. Mm -hmm. They're just not public figures in the extent of paparazzi chase them down the street and people don't go to their, like, they don't, they don't act in movies. There's kind of a different level of publicity to Mm -hmm. that. Well, I mean, you did mention her um, the subway system, and that's something that she did speak about in the um, in her campaign video. And actually, no, in her campaign announcement, she actually made a, like a public press release type thing. Um, and she did say, you know, she labels it Qu- Cuomo's subway or Cuomo's MTA. And um, 
you know, a lot of people in Plattsburgh don't know what the MTA is. So you're going to have to, you know, come out of that bubble, like I said, and, you know, to try and fight Cuomo, who is um, rumored to be thinking of a 2020 presidential run, who's also had, um, I put this in my story this past week, um, who has over $30 million in campaign money. And as I said, who's been an incumbent? I think he's been governor for, what, two terms? Don't. Yeah, the D- the Democratic National Committee really likes him. Yeah, so he's not, he's. You know, it's going to take a lot for you to get him to budge. Yes. Are you going to get the amount of money he has? It's going to take a lot. Exactly. Um, but um, but we'll see. Are the know? other ladies from Sex in the City going to come out? And who knows? You yeah, know, we'll see. we'll see. It's only <laughs> March. We will see. We shall see. Yeah, but we wish her luck, you know. We yeah. breathe positivity here at PABJ so yes, you know good luck miss so speaking of elections mm-hmm. another big story this week was Cambridge Analytica which is a UK data mining firm who essentially got access to data from 50 million Facebook users through an app that you could sign up for from my understanding Facebook did not notify any of the people who were affected by this that their data had been harvested by this company who had been hired by the Trump organization um, and it seemed that ghost ads were popping up which were essentially their advertisements that only you see because you've been selected to see it mm-hmm. so it's not going to come up on everyone's feed um, that's, uh, Channel 4 in the UK did a really great investigative journalism peace and they went undercover and they got in touch with the higher-ups at Cambridge Analytica posing as someone in the country of Sri Lanka who wanted to run for public office and they got a lot of information about what the kind of tactics they do. One of those tactics is they can make it look like uh, the person you're running against is receiving a bribe. They can send prostitutes to that person's room to make it look like something. I mean, they play very dirty. Um, and But the main problem with, the main focus of this story has been Facebook, mm-hmm. um, which has had issues in the past because it was revealed that the Russians were able to get into Facebook and try to sway people's opinions. Yeah. And just this idea of lack of security for Facebook. Um, and people don't like it. They're threatening to delete their accounts. Mark Zuckerberg is now given public interviews. He said he's sorry. Facebook stock went down 7%, which is a lot. Um, That company is worth billions. And I saw a really great headline that said it's still kind of running like it did out of a Harvard dorm room. (laughs) It's not really like it's not running like a Silicon Valley company. Um, So the question is, will Facebook be a thing in 20 years? Um, well, Facebook, because we know how MySpace ended. I mean, I think they're going to have to really do a good job. You know, even like someone like my parents, like they're like, my mother got on Facebook because she had to, you know, she was creating a, a page for a business, one of her businesses. So she was like, okay, so now I have to make a Facebook. None of her pictures are up. None of her personal stuff is up. My father, I, I'm not touching Facebook. I didn't want to make a Facebook page you know, and I feel like a lot of people are in that space, even though social media is ramping up. A lot of people are in that space where I don't want everyone to be all up in my <laughs> business. I don't want everyone to see my personal business. Um, even my mother, who has nothing about herself personally on um, Facebook, gets, 
notifications in her email from people that she actually knows on a day-to-day basis. How do they know this about me? And that's her main question all the time when we speak. How did this person get my information? So I think that Facebook is going to have to do a better job at um, telling people that their information is safe and telling people that we're just here so that you can connect to people and not that and not bring how much trying to say this bring politics into this especially now when people are aware that certain servers and certain computers and certain phones can get hacked um i mean there's a long-running joke about how there's an fbi agent who lives in your computer and can see you exactly that's been a run i've seen but it's kind of, of it brings up a point of like who's seeing what you're doing like yeah. how much access are you giving these websites mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. I think that Facebook has that has had that trust for a long time of people. You know, I can go to Facebook and I can be safe. But now so many different things are coming out. They're going to have to do a really good job at telling people that, no, you're still safe. Um, and not just telling people that this, you're going to have to really make sure that your people's accounts are safe. I just don't even understand. You know what I mean? And I think um, I think it is good that we have someone like uh, Mark Zuckerberg at the head of the company where he's someone that can, you know, put his own back on the line for everything that's been going on. But... Uh-huh. Well, all right. Well, we could debate about that. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, I think if we had someone that was like a suit or someone who was just, um, yeah, you know, someone like that was that was running the company would send like a um, a publicist or a spokesperson out. I think he's, you know, come out on the front of it and said, you know what, we're going to take responsibility, responsibility for this and move forward. But they're going to have to do a good job at appealing. It's like I said, appealing to a lot of people and saying that, you know, certain countries are not going to be able to come into Facebook and influence elections and things like that so um unfortunately while social media is progressing air quotes on progressing um they're taking a lot of steps back when it comes to people's privacy okay he is taking responsibility this is where you and i disagree Mm -hmm. he is taking responsibility but you just shouldn't have let them take all that information in the first place that's the point about you're running your company but you're still in your dorm room at harvard Mm-hmm. Like there's a recklessness to it. Yes. There's a negligence to it, mm-hmm. which should not be the case. Facebook is up there as a leading company, and there was a really great segment on CNN over when I was home for break. And they had a professor come on from New York University, um, New York NYU's business school Stern, mm-hmm. and they were talking about the fact that there's currently a deal that AT and T and Time Warner are gonna combine which would mean a big monopoly over certain things. Because you've got AT&T, which is a telecommunications company, and you've got Time Warner, which owns CNN. That's a media, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot. And people don't like that because it kind of we're getting to the point where we're going to have five big companies that own everything. Mm-hmm. And this man thinks that, yeah, like people should be noticing that. But he also pointed out that Apple, Google, Amazon, and Facebook – have a monopoly over a lot more than you realize. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have iPhones. We all Google things on a regular basis, and we don't even think about we it. We don't. Googling is a verb. Amazon, you can buy anything and everything. Um, Facebook, you're putting your whole life. On Facebook, on the front street. So. Amazon. <laughs> like, he's pointing out that Mark, he, and he said, Mark Zuckerberg is the most, um, powerful person on this planet, which I kind of agree with mm-hmm. because a lot of people put information on Facebook. They don't really think about it. Yeah. I mean, I have older relatives that just share everything. And it's like, I don't want to know that. So 
it's, it's a conversation I think we need to think about. And there are other social media websites that are not like this. Twitter. The only issue Twitter has really had so far is that they don't do a very good job at monitoring the hate groups that are on their website. Yep. But there's never been security issues with Twitter. Um, they've and they they're cracking down more and more, but that's only been that's only been their issue. I haven't really ever heard anything about Instagram. I think people are just annoyed that the most popular things go to the top now. Yeah, that's the only thing. <laughs> that's true. And all the Snapchat ads. got in trouble last week mm-hmm. because of the thing with Rihanna. Yep. But other than that, haven't heard that much. It's always kind of been Facebook, which makes me think: is the idea of having a public profile on a website like that? not going to be a thing in 10 years. Yeah. Because we saw it, like I said, I, mean, I, jo- I joked about it, MySpace, but in all seriousness, as we move more and more towards a world where everything is ex- accessible, yeah. is Facebook going to survive in that environment? Mm-hmm. You're going to need it. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I'm slowly moving off of Facebook, to be honest. In my personal... I, I don't, don't even think... go on anymore. Yeah, like... I mean, yeah. Especially news organizations now, um, since we are, you know, a mini news organization, um, I would say that a lot of them use like the more, um, you know, we were speaking earlier about social publishing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people rely on Facebook just to push those videos out. A lot of even local news stations use Facebook to um, share, you know, um, Facebook lives about certain news stories and things like that. So um, while Facebook is important to people, it is important to think about where it will be in um, in a couple decades. So we shall see. Yeah, we will. So, um, so our last story yes. for today um, is our journalism-related story. And um, this one is actually about one of the founders of um, NABJ itself, our um, parent organization. Les Payne, um, Leslie Les Payne, is a journalist who um, passed away recently at 76 years old. My main thing about um, Les Payne is, um, you know, he he won a Pulitzer um, Prize for his reporting and um, his editing. He died in um, Monday in Manhattan. As as I said, he was 76 years old. So um, my main thing when I talk about um, Les Payne is he got so famous. I think we can look at um, certain journalists that are people of color. And I think that you can say that once you start to leave I don't know. I think that there's a certain stigma against people who are people of color who leave that they leave their communities and tell other people's stories. Les Payne was someone who made it to the very top and reached right back into his own communities by reporting on stories about people like himself, about people um, of color, racial injustices, segregation and certain things like that. So that's someone he is definitely someone that needs to be remembered in such a way where he helped his people, where he spread his story, not just helping his people, he spread his stories of his people to other people and made it to the very top. As I said, won a Pulitzer Prize, um, which was one of the highest um, awards it's that like a journalist the can honor win. in yeah. journalism and writing. The honor. And the interesting thing about his story is that he wrote for this newspaper in Long Island called Newsday. Mm-hmm. And he was writing about social injustice in an environment where it's largely white. It's largely suburban. Yeah. There's real, that's not that much diversity. So he's kind of putting it in your face. Hey, there's an apartheid going on in South Africa. You should know what that is. There's racial injustice going on in the South. You should know what that is. Yeah. He's giving you face-to-face with something you may not even want to read about. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that's bold as a journalist. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, you got to write about what the people want to hear. Mm, maybe you got to write about what people don't know is going on. You need to educate them. Yeah. And that's what journalism is at the end of the day. Um, and, um, you know, for him writing for a newspaper, <clears throat> excuse me, in Long Island, he's sharing stories that, like you said, people don't care about. And it's not even that they don't care about. These issues don't affect them. Segregation in the South, issues with um, racial injustice in South Africa, these things don't affect these people on a day-to-day basis. They're in their own bubble. Um, So for him to spend his life doing that is something that is, for me, extremely commendable because that's who I want to be when I get older in my Mm -hmm. career. Um, I want to share a story of someone who is in the middle of Ghana struggling with water and electricity and share it to the person who is in the high rise or the brownstone Manhattan apartment. That's what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I think that once you find people that way that don't just want to be, you know, in front of certain things and just they don't want the hype, they don't want the clout. That's everyone's favorite word today, clout. Um, When they don't want that and when they just have a passion for sharing stories of people who whose stories need to be shared, I think that is extremely um, important. And I um, I just find him and all his work commendable. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And everyone, I'm sure, here at PABJ feels the same way. Yeah. And there's a great way to end today's podcast. Yes. Um, thank you for joining us. If you're watching us live or listening to us later, thank you. Um, we are going to be moving towards live streaming the podcast. Yes. So you can be interactive, leave us comments, Mm -hmm. tell us what you don't like, but tell us what you do like. (laughs) Um, Follow Miriam on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, everywhere at Miriam Abzala. Trying to keep everything consistent. Uh, Make sure you you know, pull up on Niella as well at Niella Graham. She's at Niella Graham everywhere now, which is... Except Twitter, I'm at Niella Chloe. Um, <laughs> We're working on it, though. We're, She'll be there, though. on it. It's a process. Um, you can follow, of course, PABJ, Plattsburgh ABJ. Yes. Um, on everything. Yeah. And thank you so a, much. It's been a heavy news week, but we yes. got through it. Mm-hmm. Um, join us next week. We're going to be talking about sports because it's March Madness. And we have some board members who are very much into the sports scene and sports journalism. Yes. So it'll be an interesting conversation. So... From Miriam. Miriam, thank you for coming on. No, you know, I love being here. I love doing this. I literally love spending my Fridays sitting here and discussing this stuff with you, Niela. Thank you for having me. Um, and we thank all of you who listen and um, send us your thoughts and just, you know, lend us your ears every week. So thank you so much for listening. And we hope that you reach us right back here next week. Thank you. <laughs>